back over your life. Have you ever been in a position where you've been promoted? Maybe at work, maybe even at school, you've got a promotion, you've taken on a new job or a new role. Suddenly in, kind of in your life something's happened. Think about that. Think, what did it feel like when you took on this new role and responsibility? Did you have new power? You suddenly were you in charge of stuff? Maybe you had a team to run or you had a budget you were overseeing or something like that. Was it, was it in a new place? You had to go to a new place and deal with getting new, uh, new, so a new environment where you were working. Did you get a new wage packet because your, your pay went up with the promotion you had just received? Something like that. Were there new colleagues to get to know? Maybe there was a new boss to deal with, new um, peers to work with, even new subordinates that you had to kind of, you had to lead um, in your office environment. Um, imagine getting, not just a promotion, imagine thinking getting a really big one. Think about your work environment now and think, what happens if I got a massive promotion? I suddenly went from where I am and I got something really big. Would you be the MD? Would you be your head of your department? Would you be the CEO of whatever organization you're kind of involved in? That would be quite a change to where you are. We've had, um, over, uh, on Thursday, we had a possible change of kind of leadership in the general election. Anyone here vote in the general election? Yes. It didn't quite go how people thought it would. But we have a prime minister, not necessarily a new one, but it's a new government has come. And imagine if your job promotion was to that. That would be a pretty big step up for most of us, I'd imagine, wouldn't it? If you were taken from where you're in now, and imagine the election had gone the way they'd expected, and it was kind of like, uh uh-oh, hung parliament, coalition, and then someone had come and knocked on your door and said, we need to form a coalition, and we think you're the leader for it. We think you're the one to take the United Kingdom into the next whatever, the next bit. Imagine what that would be like. You're taken from where you are now in your job and suddenly like, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to, don't worry, we're going to sort it out. We want you to lead. You're going to have to move. 10 Downing Street is now going to become your kind of place of residence. You're going to have advisors and a bunch of people who work for you, all these civil servants and these MPs who report to you. Um, But you're going to be fine. You're going to run the government of the UK. That sounds pretty insane to happen. And it's almost like, what a ridiculous thing. That could never possibly ever happen. Yet in our story today, that's what happens. Joseph, who we've been following through the book of Genesis, gets a promotion, gets a really big promotion. He effectively becomes the prime minister. And what makes it even more shocking is he wasn't just doing a normal, normal job, you know, like we might be doing. He was in prison. So he was a, he was a prisoner serving at Her Majesty's pleasure for a pretty horrendous crime he was accused of. We know he was innocent, but from the legal system point of view, he was guilty of this crime. And the next thing you know, he's now the Prime Minister of um, Egypt. So if you've got your Bibles, Genesis 41, let's have a little look at that. Let me recap the story to this point. If you haven't kind of been with us, we've been looking through the book of Genesis at the life of Joseph, this character who's quite a famous character from the Bible. And Joseph had some ancestors. He had a guy called Abraham, a guy called Isaac, a guy called Jacob. Again, well-known characters in the Old Testament. And God had spoken to each of them, giving them incredible promises. He'd come to Abraham, who was Joseph's what, great-great-great-grandfather, and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you mightily, and through you I'm going to bless the nations of the world. Your descendants, they're going to be like stars in the sky. And soundless, you're going to have so many of them, you can't even count them. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. He said, I'm going to give you land. 
At that point, he didn't have any land. He said, I'm going to give you land, a vast tract of land that your descendants will live in. And this promise was then reiterated to his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and then carried on to Joseph and his brothers as the family. And at the point of the story we read, there aren't many descendants of Abraham. Despite the promises of God, there aren't many of them. Definitely not like stars in the sky. But Joseph is kind of a recipient of these promises. And then Joseph has some dreams, it said. And he had these dreams. And being a teenager, he went and told everyone his dreams. He said, I dreamt all my brothers. I've got a whole bunch of brothers, 11, 10, 11 brothers. You're all going to bow down to me, which you can imagine the brothers got a bit cheesed off at. And then he had another dream. He said, not only are you brothers going to bow down to me, but mum and dad, you're going to bow down to me, which you can imagine dad not being very happy about that one. But Joseph just told him. And then... Joseph found himself quite the privileged son in the family. He was the one that daddy loved. And daddy gave him the coat for which he's famous for. Um, But the brothers found that quite annoying. And they got really cross with Joseph. And they plotted to kill him, which is quite an extreme response. But that's how they felt. And then they decided, we're not going to kill him. We're going to sell him into slavery. He goes down into Egypt as a slave. He gets sold to a man named Potiphar, who's quite a senior official in the government. And he becomes a servant in his house. But then Joseph gets promoted through the house and he becomes head of the household of all the servants and he runs the household for Potiphar and he does an excellent job because God's with him. Uh, But then Potiphar's wife likes the look of Joseph because he's a little bit buff. And so she's like, oh, I like him. And she tries to seduce Joseph, but Joseph, being a man of honor and integrity, says, I will not sleep with you because I honor my master and I serve God. And the wife, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So she makes up lies about Joseph. She accuses him of rape. Falsely, the husband, Potiphar, believes his wife and he gets dumped in prison. You know, it's like his his lowest ebb. And then, in prison, uh, he he carries on working and he's there a long time. And then he um, he meets a couple of guys who are Pharaoh's officials who've been put in prison too, a baker and a cupbearer to the king. And uh, they have dreams and Joseph hears their dreams and he can interpret them by the grace of God. And he tells them what their dreams will mean. And the baker, unfortunately, gets hung. Um, and the cupbearer gets restored to his position, and he says to the cupbearer, just, you know, before you remember me, I'm in prison, and remember me, when, when you come back into your position with Pharaoh, and the cupbearer, it says, forgets him. And then the years roll by, and then uh, Pharaoh himself has dreams, and the cupbearer suddenly realizes there was a guy in prison who could interpret this, because Pharaoh didn't know, didn't interpret his dreams, didn't know what they meant, and they really troubled him. He had these really kind of frightening dreams. And so he gets Joseph out of prison, and Joseph managed to interpret the dreams. It's what we heard about last week with Mike. And then so now he is standing before the king, the Pharaoh, the leader of this great nation, and he's managed to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And now we're going to hear about this incredible promotion. Genesis 41 verse uh, 39, where we left it last time. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph... Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over the whole land of Egypt. 
Moreover, moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath-Paniah, and he gave him to marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priestess of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out of the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance in the land, and like the sand of the sea until it ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priestess of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says, you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. All right, big idea of what we're going to look at today. Big idea is God has always provided a saviour for his people. God has always provided a saviour for his people. Let's go through the story. All right, Joseph, he responds uh, to Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh had these dreams about grains of corn. There were seven good ones, and there was, there was some horrible ones, and they ate up the good ones, and there was cows, and the cows came out looking very plump, but then there were several horrible cows who ate the good cows, and what does it mean? And Joseph said there's going to be seven years of total abundance in this land. There's going to be seven years of fantastic harvest in the land of Egypt, and then, then that's going to be followed by seven years of famine where there's going to be no food. And he says, what you need to do is you need to take some of the grain that you've, stored, you've got from the years of abundance, store it up, so when the seven bad years come, you can use that grain to feed the people and no one's going to die. And the Pharaoh loved his response, and we can see what he did. He says, he said he describes Joseph as discerning and wise. Just in the previous bit, it said the Spirit of God was on Joseph, and Pharaoh I saw that. He said, there's something about you that I sense that God is on you and that you speak with wisdom. And he responds to what Joseph said. He gave Joseph command of his house, his household, the palace, all the servants, everything that went on there. Joseph was put in charge. Interestingly for Joseph, it's the third time this has happened to him. He was given command of Potiphar's house. Then in the jail, when he went to the jail, he actually was given command effectively of the jail and the other prisoners, despite being a prisoner. He served them and looked after them. And this is now the third time. He's now in, in the palace looking after it. Um, he said there's one thing that was withheld, a bit like when he was in Potiphar's house. Uh, they with, he, Potiphar withheld one thing, which was the food he ate. And Pharaoh said, you can have everything, just not the throne, because I'm the king. But he basically gave Joseph free run of the place. And he was given the position of prime minister, effectively, or grand vizier, uh, there's a bit of debate about kind of what it is, but this kind of second in command over all the nation of Egypt. When you think about it, Egypt was like a superpower at the time. So he was now like second in the superpower 
of the world in that area. One of these mighty nations that had economic strength and military strength. And Joseph is now, he's now number two in that. And this is a great reversal of Joseph's situation. We've read the story thus far. It's basically gone down, 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 rock bottom. And now it's suddenly kicked back up. But he also goes on to say, he wasn't just over the palace, which must have been pretty vast, but actually over the whole land of Egypt. He said, I'm going to give you governance of the whole land. Not just this area, but actually this whole nation is going to be under your command. And he gives him symbols of authority. He gives him his signet ring, which would have had a seal on it, which would have been used to kind of um, sign royal decrees and royal documents and things that would go out from the palace. So Joseph now has got this power and authority where I can make a decree, I can seal it with the ring, and it will go out and it would change, affect everyone in the land of Egypt. If I want to change something, I can just do it. Imagine that power. And he does that, and he says, and it says he puts clothes on him, fine linen, expensive clothes, so he's clothed in his authority. So what he would have worn in prison, we don't know. It doesn't say, but I can imagine it being not good, you know, orange overalls or something with the little, you know, the little arrows on it or something like that. But it wouldn't have been very nice. But he's now in these these really top of the line clothes. He gets given a chain. It's almost like he was coronated, coronation of a king. Although he was second to Pharaoh, he was like, you've just been invested with this power and authority. You look the part. And interestingly, just point out, Joseph doesn't actually speak through this process, if you notice. He just accepts it. He doesn't say, well, no, I couldn't. <laughs> Send me back to prison. <laughs> no, he just accepts it. God's moving. God's done something. And he, just, he graciously just kind of takes it, takes it on board of what he's doing. And it says then he was given a chariot. I don't know what we would think, Rolls-Royce. He's given another one like, just like Pharaoh, and it says he goes for a ride. Now, this is the second time Joseph's gone for a ride. The first time, he was a slave being sent by his brothers down into Egypt, going into kind of the worst part time of his life. Now, he's going for a ride, and he is second over the land. And it said it was so impressive that they, he, he, he followed in a chariot with Pharaoh, and they sent runners out who would leg it out to the towns and the villages and say, bow the knee, He's coming. He's coming. And so all the, all the villagers would be like, Ooh, you know. And Joseph would come past in his chariot as the kind of the prime minister of the land, this position of authority. And he's now ruling it. And he said not only that, he gets a good marriage out of it. The, the, um, he gets a marriage, a kind of a connecting marriage into the daughter of, of the priestly order. So it kind of solidifies his position of power. He's married well into that. And so that, and he gets given a name. Now that name, which I find difficult to pronounce, but it's there, it begins with a Z. It's a bit, a bit debated what it means. One of the meanings that is kind of generally considered is that he was given the name God Speaks and He Lives. That was the name Joseph was given um, by, by Pharaoh. God Speaks and He Lives. And now he is kind of, he is now in this position of power. He's got a political marriage, he's got the job, he's ruling it. And it says there that Joseph is now, is 30 at this time. When he left Egypt, oh sorry, when he left his home and came to Egypt, it said he was 17. So do the math, 13 years thereabouts has passed. All right, so 13 years prior, he was given dreams from God. Then he had 13 years that could be described as the most horrific in his life to date. And I would stack that up against any of our difficult situations and probably say, Joseph probably had a bit of a tougher time than we have. And so he's had this massive down thing for 13 years, but suddenly the power of God comes in it, and in, in a moment, he, it's been restored to him and added. 
He is now in this position of authority and power. And then Joseph sets about the task that saying uh, that, that God had kind of revealed in the dream. He starts collecting the grain. Seven years of great abundance. Well, we'll collect it up. We'll take, I think it was a fifth they said, we'll take a fifth and we'll just store it up ready for the years of famine. So we see God's word being fulfilled in the fact that Joseph said there's going to be seven years of abundance. And Joseph said, right, here it is. And he starts collecting in that extra grain that's not needed. We see the blessing of God on Egypt as a nation. And it says that he stored up so much grain, he, kind of, he, stopped, he stopped measuring it. Imagine that. You've got so much stuff, I've just stopped counting. I, just, I can't keep up. The numbers are too big. Imagine having that much resources in the bank. Wouldn't that be good in the UK about now? <laughs> Considering our financial situation. We've got so much stuff. Do you know what? The Department of the Treasury has just called and said, we're going to stop counting. There's just too much. So they've got all this grain stored up. And in this time of fruitfulness of the land, it's mirrored in Joseph's life. What does he have? He has two children. He has two children. Uh, Manasseh is the firstborn. And then Ephraim. And if you look at how he names them, it's kind of he's closing a door on his past. He's saying, actually, that was the past, but he's talking about being blessed in this land and what God has done to him. So he's had two children, which is fantastic, that God can turn around bad situations and make them good. And then as we get to the end of that passage, so seven years will have passed, it says that God's word is continued to be filled because what comes? The famine. The seven years of um, no food and the crops not growing suddenly kicks in. And actually, people then start to run out of bread. They run out of it. They've got nothing to eat. And God has filled his word for seven years, abundance. Joseph stored up all the grain. Then suddenly, there's this time of famine and drought. And there's, there's no food on the shelves. And there's nothing in the cupboards. And they don't know what to do. And it says people got hungry. And they came to Pharaoh and said, we haven't got anything to eat. And what did Pharaoh say? Go to Joseph. Joseph will sort it out. And Joseph has got these vast storehouses of grain that he's been planning all over the nation. And they use that to start feeding the people. But it goes wider than that. It says the famine wasn't just in Egypt. It was in the wider kind of world for them. And what did it say at the end? It wasn't just Egypt who came to Joseph. Who came to Joseph? The nations of the world came to Joseph to find grain, to to, to be fed. And this just hints at what's going to come because Joseph's dreams have yet to be fulfilled. The baker's and the cupbearer's dreams got fulfilled. uh, Pharaoh's dreams are being fulfilled at this point. Whose dream is yet to be fulfilled? Joseph's. And Joseph's now ruling, and it says the nations are going to come to him. So that's kind of hinting at what's going to come as we carry on looking through the passage. All right, so that's where it is. Let's look at a little bit of application for us. Through this, God has been fulfilling his purposes through Joseph's life, through the promises that came through Abraham, going through all through the generations, and also particularly the promises he gave to Joseph himself, saying, actually, I, you know, these are the dreams that are going to be about your life. So he's fulfilling these purposes. So the first thing is, and he's fulfilling these purposes, fulfilling God's purposes comes through faithfulness and obedience. Fulfilling God's purposes comes through faithfulness and obedience. If we look at Joseph's life, 13 years, I don't know what your life was like 13 years ago. I tried to work it out. It was a while back, but I sat there until, as I was preparing this, thinking, what was my life 13, like 13 years ago? Mel and I just got married. Um, I was working as a primary school. We didn't have children. We didn't know any of you. Uh, we hadn't moved a couple of times. I hadn't changed jobs. All these other things. Lots have happened. So when I think about my life, some of the most significant things have happened have been in the last 13 years. And if we look at Joseph's life over those 13 years... He's, uh, they tried to, his brothers have tried to kill him. He's been a slave. 
He's been falsely accused of rape. He's been stuck in prison uh, for years. He's been waiting a long, long time for God's kind of plans and purposes to be fulfilled. Because 13 years ago, he had these dreams. So God had spoken to him. But but that nothing had happened, and he'd been waiting a long time. But the interesting thing is we've seen through the story, what has Joseph been doing? What has he been doing through the story? He's been, been faithful and obedient in whatever situation he's found himself. He was a slave, and he got sold like a piece of property to this guy called Potiphar, who was a, an official, and what did he do? He just started serving there. He was faithful in what he got, and eventually he got promoted through the house to being ruler kind of over the whole house on behalf of the master. He was the one who was kind of in charge of everything. And everything, the way it was, all the shopping, everything that worked in the house, the other servants, he was in charge. Then he went into, um, got accused, he ended up in prison. What did he do in prison? He, he did the same. He started serving faithfully and he was raised up to be kind of over the other prisoners. He, he, what he doesn't exhibit is a bitterness towards God. And I would I would, having read Joseph's life, I think he's got a pretty good case against God for being cross. You ever been in those situations when you feel like, what's happened to me just feels a little bit unfair, God, and you know, I'm a bit annoyed about it. I think Joseph has that case. Joseph is in that position where if he brought a case with God, I'd be like, I think he's got a point, Lord, you know, if you just listen to what's happened to him. But he exhibits a faith and trust in God throughout the whole situation, and the result of it is fulfilling God's plan. He suddenly finds himself now being kind of raised up to this highest point. And we are called to do the same thing, regardless of what our life circumstances are like. And I don't know what yours are like today, and I don't want to kind of minimize it or patronize you, but whatever circumstance we face up, find ourselves in right now, we're called to live lives of faithful obedience. And there are times when that's going to be difficult, and times when that's going to be easier, depending on what's going on with life. And we're called, first and foremost, to be Believers, to be worshippers of Jesus, to, to put him first. We're Christians. We bear the name of Christ. And we're to, be, uh, to give ourselves to developing a relationship with God and following him wherever he leads us as number one. But then we have other responsibilities we give ourselves to. If you're married, you have a spouse and possibly children. You've got friends. You've got family to serve. You might have a job that you need to kind of give yourself to, even if it's not the ideal one or where you want to go. We're called to be faithful uh, servants in there, even as part of a church, a local congregation, a body, whether it's this one or you're visiting from another one. You're called to be part of something, a community of believers to give yourself to. And whatever the circumstances roll around, whether things are going well and you can, find, you can identify with seven years of abundance and things are going well, or you can find, identify with seven years of famine and actually things are not going well we're called to be faithful in what it is and if you look at the result of what Joseph's faithfulness was was um, he ended up being in a place of influence for Joseph it was a place of massive influence but he started at the bottom he started as a servant in a household and then he started as a prisoner in, in a prison and he was raised up by God over it all and we can, we, we can find ourselves that. When we're faithful in the being of God, he puts us in places of influence. He puts us in positions where we can influence for his glory, where we can make an impact for him. And it might be with one person. It might be with many, depending on what your life situation is. But that's what God has called us to. We also see it happen suddenly. God can change circumstances very quickly. I don't know if you've experienced that, where God can change circumstances almost like 
in an instant, in the blink of an eye, and suddenly you found yourself here, and then you're here, and you're suddenly, everything has changed. I had a vivid um, time of this when I, I left university, um, having trained to be a primary school teacher, hell-bent on never, ever being one, because I just thought it was a job that was for fools and people not like me. Um, and then I took a year out, because that's what you do when you leave university and you don't know what to do with yourself. You say, take a year out. And it was a, it was a spiritual one, so it was, I was working for a local church, so it was, it was all right. I wasn't like just dossing. So I took a year out. I came to the end of that year, and God had worked on my heart, and he basically was like, I want to be a primary school teacher now, because that's what I'm qualified to do, that's what you've called me to do, take a year out to deal with me. Um, but then I started applying for jobs, and I heard nothing, nada. I mean, it was just like, I'm so employable. Do you know, you know I'm just, why, why were you not even giving me an interview? I got nothing, nothing back. And the end of term was rolling around, and then it would be summer holidays, and the new term was on, and it was like, I didn't have a job. And I started dating this nice girl called Melanie, and I think, she's quite nice. I'd like this to go somewhere. So kind of getting a job was kind of important to the, the next stage of my life if I was going to be taken seriously um, as a husband material. Um, so I was kind of like, what do I do? And then a lady in the church called me, and there's about, there was about 10 days left to the end of term. If you know anything about teaching, come end of term summer holidays, ghost town. Schools become ghost town. Tumbleweeds roll through. You don't go back there. You just leave. You get out there. And so I've, I've got this window. And a lady in the church who I knew... Um, through my year out, she found and said that my son's school, which is just up the road from the church office, they're looking for a teacher, and it's with the little ones, year one. I was like, oh god, little ones, they're so annoying, and they're disgusting, and why? No, I want to do the, the older ones, the kind of juniors, they're a little bit more grown up. And, and, I, and, I, and I said, oh, thanks for that, I'm not, in, you know, thank you, thank you. And then I kind of put the phone down, I was like, okay, and then the Lord starts me, okay, you haven't got anything, Stuart, let's just deal with what you've got. So I phoned the school and said, could I I mean, I hear you've got a job. And I spoke to the head. It was interesting. He said, we haven't even started advertising for that job yet. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I know about it. Got an application form. He said, I'll, I'll send you an application form. I filled it in kind of over the weekend. It was the end of the week, which rolled us into the last week of term. And I got a call for interview. I think it was like on the Wednesday, and term broke up Thursday, Friday. He said, can you come for interview? I was like, oh, crumbs. I've never been to an interview in my life. What do I do? Right, okay, put something smart on. Uh, go and talk to all the teachers in the church. What are the buzzwords? What do I need to say? I went and got the job. And the great thing about teaching is they tell you straight away. So I went for the interview. I walked home um, to where I was staying. And then about 5 o'clock, I got a call from the head saying, you've got the job. And so within the space of less than a week, I got employed with a job. And it was magnificent. I mean, and God used it brilliantly. But literally, my circumstances changed that quickly. Because God can do that. He can change your things around. Also, we noticed that um, this came at the hand of another. Joseph did not promote himself. Pharaoh promoted him. And I don't know if you've been in situations like that where things have opened up in your life and it hasn't actually been down to you. Someone else has recommended you for a promotion in your life or someone has come and spoken into your life or given you something or opened an opportunity and saying, come with me, do this. And your life has suddenly changed. And it was the... the fa- um, it was the same with Joseph. Often God uses other people to promote us. We, we're not, we don't have to go about trying to push ourselves forward. And so our, my question kind of coming out this for us is, are you living a life of faithful obedience now? Think about your life now. Think about what's going on in your life right at this moment. Good, bad, so-so. You might have good areas, bad areas. It might be a kind of middling. I don't know. But are you living a life of faithful obedience now as a believer of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, saying, actually, I'm investing time in that? Are you being good as a spouse to your husband or your wife in terms of parenting, in terms of friends, in terms of the wider family, if you've got parents around around or siblings? Are you living a life of faithful obedience? What about your workplace? 
Are you the one in the workplace who's always moaning because you don't actually want to be there? Or actually, are you living that place? Actually, God has put me here for now. I may not be able to see what comes next, but I'm going I'm to be faithful in what I'm doing now. What are we even about church? Being here with us. This is an awesome church. Why wouldn't you want to be with us? But it, maybe you can kind of feel like you're, I'm just here because I'm in that kind of waiting room. And actually, whatever, wherever God's put you is with the community of believers, are you giving yourself to that for that season? And the season might be a long one. It might be a short one. But actually, are you giving yourself to that? All right, second thing. Fulfilling God's purposes can cause us to see the past differently. Can cause us to see the past differently. Joseph had been through some really tough circumstances. Really tough circumstances. Stuff that I would wager is more than my life. If you took all the bad things in my life and stuck them together, they wouldn't kind of be even close to what Joseph had been through. And I don't know what your situation is like. But actually, interesting, if we look at how he names his children... Where's the bit where he names his children? He says, um, he had Manasseh. He said, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. So all the negative stuff that had happened in his life, which was horrific, huge things that happened. And actually, he hadn't, he hadn't been like a Muppet. You know, sometimes we, we get into bad situations because we're stupid and we sin and we make mistakes. But these things have happened to him. They've been piled on him. Okay, he was kind of effectively innocent in it. And in some of the stuff, he was doing the right thing, and he still got kind of, he still got kind of done by it. But he actually looks back and thinks, actually, God has made me forget that. And then the second one, Ephraim, he says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So actually, even reckoning this was a land of difficulty, but actually God has caused me to be fruitful and multiply in what it is. So even how he names his two children, despite the difficulty, despite the, the hardship he's been through, he has... He has a perspective on his past, viewing it from God's perspective. He hasn't been caught up in bitterness and anger about this is what happened. Actually, he's seeing God's gracious hand through it, even though it was really difficult and tough. And I don't know what your past looks like today. If you reflect back over the years, the decades, how do you see it? How do you reflect on it? Because the reality is God is a, a gracious God and he can turn all situations for his good. And it doesn't mean the situation was bad. You might have been through a difficult situation that was of your own doing, which you can kind of feel kind of your own sense of guilt about. Or you might be through a difficult situation that was of the hands of others and you almost feel like I was a victim. You could go through a difficult situation because just circumstances happened around you and you were just caught up in it. And it was kind of happening over there, but the kind of the shock wave of what happened knocked you down and you were a response. But God's grace says, I can take that and I can turn it around. I can take that and I can use it for my glory and your good. I can take difficult situations, evil that you've done, evil that's been done to you by others, and I can turn it around and use it for your good. This happened in mine and Melanie's life. We were both working for a local church, and we were effectively kind of fired and run out of that job um, and out of the church. And we'd been in the church a number of years. We got married in the church. We, were, we had loads of friends in the church, had loads, seen loads of people saved. Things were, were good in one sense. And then this situation happened, and we had to find ourselves getting out of there very, very quickly. And effectively for us, our, kind of, our friends were in the church, our job was in the church, kind of a lot of our, our life was caught up in it when you do kind of 
ministry, paid ministry, it's like, they call it a lifestyle job, so everything's interconnected. Uh, you don't kind of have work, and then you come home, family, it's all one thing. And so we found ourselves in this situation, we just like had to get out of Dodge, um, because it had just gone badly wrong, and it was horrible at the time, and kind of working through that, I had to you know, get prayer, and, and process, and process my anger, and process my bitterness, and, and, and deal with that. But I, I look back now, one of the best things that happened to us, <laughs> the irony, is because we moved there to another church, um, and we, in that church, we met a bunch of you guys. And in that church, God prepared us and gathered a team to us so we could come and start this place to meet more of you and to do all the things that God has done through there. And actually, if that hadn't happened, we'd, you know, we'd kind of still have been there. And God wouldn't have done us. God wouldn't have grown us. God wouldn't have stretched us. And that doesn't excuse what happened. It doesn't make me kind of think, oh, it was fine what happened. It wasn't. Um, and we were on the receiving end difficulty, and even ourselves, we didn't react the best to some of the things that happened to us. But actually, I look at it now, and I think, actually, God was using it. But then we moved to another church, a uh, church in Bishop Stoffel, where we both served on staff there. And we were like, oh, we kind of fell into it. And it's like, God, we're here now. We've got out of a difficult situation. We're here. We're, we're going to put our roots down, and we're here. We're going to have our kids here. They're going to go to school here. We're going to serve this church. This is where we're at. This is our life. I could see it projecting out. This is what we're going to be doing here. We've been there, we're there about two years. And God said, time to move. <laughs> and I'm like, what? We just, we, we're here. We just, we want to start. We had a child. He was like six months old. I'm looking at schools. You know, where do we live? Where's school? He said, no, it's time to move. And that I felt a bit kind of jarred at first. And we left there very, very well. But what and that enabled us is to gather a team to come and plant Real Life Church. And I look back now and think, God knew what he was doing. And God used those situations, the good and the not so good, to come and do something here, magnificent, that will continue to grow. And I look back now from God's perspective and I say, you know, God, you brought good out of difficult situations. And it ultimately goes to your glory um, and my good in that. So my question to us this morning is, how do you look at your past? How do you look at the things of your past? I'm not saying we should... You know, rename evil as good, evil is evil. Sinful things that are done to you, sinful things in your life, they are still sinful. God doesn't like that, God is not for that. But actually, how do you see what how do you see God's sovereign hand in it? Do you focus on what he's doing out of it, or do you tend to focus on the bad stuff? Are there things that you need you know you need to work through, things you need to process, things you need to forgive, move on, help with. We're here to help, we want to pray with you, we'd love to talk to you. Sometimes it's not an easy thing, sometimes it takes time. I'm still kind of processing some of the stuff that happened to me 10 years ago because God kind of brings up things I haven't fully dealt with. And it's like, okay, I need to process that. And then, but it, it's life. So how are you looking at those things? Because God wants you free and God wants you looking at it the way he sees it. Last one. Fulfilling God's purposes leads to salvation. What did Joseph ultimately do? It wasn't about the chain, the signet ring, the clothes, the chariot, the wife or the kids. They all came as part of it. What was it about? It was about saving people's lives. Joseph saved the nation of Egypt. And he didn't just save the nation of Egypt, he saved the world. Ultimately, God's plan for his life was to bring salvation. It was to save people, to see people live through it. And God used Joseph in that, in that way. And for us in our life, ultimately, that's where it's heading. That's what God has called us to do, to bring that salvation to people. It's not about us, it's about Jesus, but it's about communicating that good news to others. The Bible, if we read our Bible, God says there's lots of things we're to do. We're to serve others, we're to care for the 
poor. We're to care for the broken. We're to love our neighbors. We're to be good citizens in the, the country we live in. We're to bless our community. We're to pray for the sick. We do all those things, but all those things ultimately should lead to Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. We want people to come and know Jesus. We want people to have their own opportunity to get to know Jesus. That's where it all goes. That's what it's all about. It's not about kind of accumulating stuff or kind of trying to make ourselves feel better. It's about people getting to know Jesus. Even our purpose as a church, we wrote it down as we start the church. We believe real life is about having a relationship with Jesus Everything flows out of that, and everything comes to that. That's ultimately that. And as a church, over the last couple of years of going, we've had a bunch of people who've become Christians, come to know Jesus. We've had Anna and James and Haley and Z and Ness, who even shared last week. We've had people become Christians, and I am hungry for more. I want people to come to know Jesus for themselves. It's about them and their relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we're going for. And I ask you, our question today is, how are you ordering your life? How are you looking at your life? Do you see that as kind of the ultimate purpose? We're called to do lots of things. I'm, I'm called to be a good husband and a good father to my children and the job I do to do faithfully and to be a good kind of neighbor and just generally be a positive influence on the place I find myself in. But behind all that, beyond all that, I want people to come and know Jesus. I want my kids to come and know Jesus. I want my neighbors to come and know Jesus, people I interact with and come along. I want you to come and know Jesus because ultimately that is what life is all about. That's all. We find ourselves, the heart of the Christian message is that we as people have fallen short of God. We are made in the image of God. We have that kind of in us, which is why we get this desire to worship, this desire to kind of put put value on so many things. We try and fill this with so much, but ultimately it can only be satisfied fully in God himself. But we've fallen short of that glory. We, we've sinned. We've messed up, the Bible says. It says we, 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 we we're broken and damaged and corrupt in every part of our thing. That's why everything seems to keep going wrong. <laughs> Keeps going wrong. But the only way we can sort that out is through Jesus. Jesus came, lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died in our place on the cross, taking the punishment for all the things we've done wrong. And you know what they are. So that we might have relationship with God and know him and be with him forever. And so our question is, are you living that life? Is that the kind of the focus you've got? Is that the prayers you're praying? Is that the, the front foot you go on as you go out into the world? That ultimately I want to care and love people so that they can have an opportunity to get to know Jesus. Because when we study the story of Joseph, ultimately it should lead us to Jesus. Because Jesus is a better Joseph. Joseph is a character that we look at, but he's described as a type. He points to something bigger than himself. And that bigger is Jesus. Why? Why is Jesus a better Joseph? Because... Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered in his life and was exalted to the highest place above all. He wasn't second to anyone. He was above all, over all things. Joseph was given the name that God speaks and lives. God speaks and lives. And what's his name? Jesus. He came to earth. He proved that. Joseph saved a bunch of people with food. Jesus is the saviour of the world. And he doesn't save with food. He saves for eternity. Jesus is a better Joseph. So we're going to close now. Do you want to just stand up? I'm just going to pray to finish. The band are going to come back. I just want to reiterate some of those things we've done. And then I want to put our eyes on Jesus, the saviour, the God who speaks and lives. May you want to just close your eyes. Lord God, we want to thank you for Joseph. We want to thank you for his story that we can read. We thank you for what we can learn from that. Lord, we thank you for his example.
But ultimately, Lord, we thank you that he points to something bigger and greater, and that is you. You are the one he points to. You are the one who should have our focus. You are the one who is above everything, oh Lord Jesus. And I ask God that you would come amongst us now and give us grace today, Lord Jesus. Give us grace today. Look at the things we've looked at. Think about your life. Are you living in faithful obedience right now in what you're doing? Lord, I ask you to give us grace to do that, whether it's at home, at work, friendship circles, whatever we find ourselves in, God, give us grace to live with that faithful obedience. When it comes to looking at our past and your hand in it, Lord, we ask you to give us grace to do that. And this one's a tough one, especially if it's gone really difficult things in your past, Lord, but we ask you to give us grace. If you know there's things there that you need to process and work through, we would love to talk to you and help you. We can pray this morning. We can book time later. We can get the right people to talk to you. But if you know that's you, we would love to, to talk to you at the end. Lord, I thank you that as your sovereign, you can turn any situation for good. It doesn't minimize or excuse what happens, but you can turn it around for your glory and our good, Lord Jesus. And when it comes to being the church, God, would you put us on the front foot in terms of salvation? Lord God, we thank you for those who've become Christians here, those we've loved and seen make that decision for themselves. Lord God, we ask you give us more from that. If you're not a believer here today and you'd like to find out a little bit more, come and talk to us at the end. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love to kind of process that, process that with you. But Lord God, we ask you would come and uh, save more. There are people on your mind now when I'm praying this because you're thinking about salvation. Just start praying for them. Just start praying that God would come into their life. They can be family members, friends. They can be local. They can live on the other side of planet Earth. It doesn't matter. Just pray that God would come and move in their lives. That ultimately they would have a, an experience of Jesus for themselves.